Pastor Jay began a series last week as he unpacked the idea of how God has made us unique and spelled Y-O-U-nique, okay? Because God has made all of us different. Every one of us, he, is, he, he unpacked, he said, everybody has different DNA. We even all have different fingerprints. That's how unique we are. Everybody has a fingerprint that's different from any other person in the world and any other person in the world that's ever lived in history. That is amazing. It's like overwhelming. It's a complicated mystery, but God has made us all unique, and, and we're working up to the end of this series when we're going to talk about how God has not only created you uniquely, but he's given you unique gifts and abilities and callings. In fact, I'm excited to share this too. At, at the last Sunday of this month, we're going to be having sort of a, I guess we'd call it a 30-serve launch to let you know some of the opportunities that Kingwood has. We have lots of them that may, mit, may fit exactly where you are in your gifts and abilities. You, you, may, you may think, not me, I have nothing, but you would not believe all the opportunities that are coming open right now at Kingwood. We look forward to letting you see that on the 26th of this month. Last week, we, all, we also saw in Pastor Jay's message that we're not just unique in the way we are made personally, but humanity is unique. We're not just another animal. Sorry, atheists. Sorry, uh, people who, who, who push that we all came from some amoeba somewhere in, a, in, a, in a, uh, some primordial lake. We did not. God created us unique. We are different from all the other people, all the other um, uh, animals on the earth. We've been made, the Bible says, in the image of God. Literally, the word is, as the image of God. We're supposed to be what people look at and they understand what God is like. That's not true of a poodle, sorry. But that's, that's what God made us like. We, we, not only, we not only have this body, but we have a spirit God is spirit, and God, the Bible says God breathed into humans the breath of life, not oxygen, the breath of life, and we became something different from all of God's creation. We are eternal. Do you realize that? People last forever. We're eternal like God is eternal. We're in his likeness. We don't cease to exist like common animals. God gave us the ability to live eternally. And also God made us like him in that he gave us the ability to make choices, moral choices. We get to make choices for our own lives. We don't just go by instinct. We're not puppets that God created and he has, we're on some giant stage and he's just acting out something that's already been predetermined. That's not true. God allows us to make decisions. Now, Pastor Jay last week taught that. We understood how we unique we are in, in God's creation. And that's where we're going to pick up today. Because God made us in his image and gave us the ability to make decisions about our own life, we've made a mess of it. <laughs> True? I mean, we've made a royal mess of it, totally. It all started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were given the choice to obey God or not and Adam and Eve decided they want to exchange what God had said for something that they could choose on their own to do. And they did it. And as a result, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
All of us, we've all followed in that. Sin came into the world that day. It changed everything. It changed everything. Sin walked in. And as a result, spiritual death has been rampant in this world ever since then. Physical death and spiritual death. The first man and woman ever created chose to exchange their relationship with God for a lie. Let me, let me tell you what the lie was. Satan lied to them. Satan lied and said, God says if you eat from this tree, God doesn't want you to eat that because if you do, you'll be like God. You know what? That was true. But it was twisted truth. The truth is they were already like God. They were already made in God's likeness. They already had everything God had for them. They already had that. But the devil made it look like God was like holding out on them. That God was doing something sneaky behind their back. And they fell for that. And people continue to fall for it. Spiritual and physical death have become the inheritance of every human being because human beings choose to believe the lie rather than the truth. And we see it played out in, in, in the first two children born on the earth, Cain and Abel. The very first two human beings born on the earth, one murdered the other. Is that not a picture of our fallen world? The first two humans born on the face of the earth, one became a perpetrator of murder and the other became a victim of it. And our world since then has been full of those two things, perpetrators of evil and victims of evil. And we have to live in a world where both of those are true, correct? God never intended the name perpetrator to be on anybody or the name victim to be on anybody. That was not God's intention. That was what Satan did. And you know what? L- listen to this. Even after, even, even when uh, Cain was tempted to hurt his brother, God spoke to him. And God said, this is in the scripture, Genesis 4. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Here's the the thing. God gave him an opportunity at that time to make a choice to say, no, I'm not going to hurt my brother. But instead, he believed the lie. He thought his brother had something over on him. He believed the lie and he murdered him. So it appears that from the very beginning, the human race is toast. (laughs) It's not God's intention, but that's what happened. Done for. It looks like Satan was winning. Some years later, after humans multiplied on the earth, it got so bad that there was only one guy in his family that was left serving God, Noah. You know the story. And God intervened and said, I'm going to save mankind. This was God's first plan of salvation. He put the family on the boat. And the entire earth was wiped out except that one family. But there was a problem, a big problem. The family that got on the boat got off the boat with the same sinful nature they got on the boat with. Even though they served God, they still had that moral choice that had been twisted inside. And pretty soon, like not long after they saw the beautiful rainbow and they got out, their sinful nature arose and sin began to reign even more in the world. 
looked like Satan was winning, didn't it? But God had a plan. God had a plan called salvation. He had a plan. First, God chose a man. His name was Abraham. And God developed a personal relationship with Abraham. Abraham wasn't perfect, but God developed a personal relationship with him. And then he developed a relationship with his family. So he chose a man, and then he chose a family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons. And then they, they multiplied so much that he, he ended up having a relationship with a nation called Israel. And God sent uh, it's in the Old Testament. God sent prophets and kings and warriors and, and heroes to come and, and he did miracles among them. And through that nation of Israel, he began to work his plan. Even in their religious system, he even gave them pictures of what his plan was. In spite of their cycles that they went in of corruption and unbelief, God stuck with them and he continued to develop that relationship with them. Then the Bible says, in the fullness of time, which is another way of saying at right at the perfect time, God's plan of salvation was launched. <laughs> salvation. What is that word? Salvation. We Christians, we talk about salvation a lot. Basically, every religion has some idea of salvation, what is in their mind, what their goal of their religion is. What is salvation? We talk a lot about it in the Christianity. We talk about getting saved. All my life I've heard that, word, that phrase. So-and-so got saved. Or we might hear converted or got born again or, or ask Jesus in your heart or join the church and get baptized or converted or whatever. These wonderful phrases we grew up with, it warms our hearts because we know what it's talking about. It's the time when somebody gave their life to the Lord. They became a Christian. I grew up in a church a little bit different from Kingwood, a whole lot different from Kingwood, but we believed in salvation. We believed in people getting saved. It was important to us. In our church, some of you are going to relate to this, in our church, the pastor, after every sermon, issued an invitation for people to, to walk down the aisle and come and make a public profession of faith. That's what we called it, a public profession of faith in Christ. It means getting saved. That's what it meant. And... Um, and so, you know, you'd go home, and around the dinner table, you'd, you'd, hear, like, you'd hear like mom say, hey, did you see that, that Jack went down today? And then dad might say, yeah, his friend Randy was sitting next to him, and we thought he was going to go down, but he didn't go down. And our, our Christianese, that's what it meant to get saved, was to go down. Now, in a Pentecostal church, going down means something totally different. You know, in a Pentecostal church, you can go home and say, uh, yeah, Jack went, went down today. Yeah, I know. I thought his friend Randy was going to go down, but he didn't. We're talking about, wow, praying for folks. But it's our Christianese. We, we have our little code words. But what we're talking about is that experience we've all, we all understand called getting saved, giving your heart to the Lord. In any case, the Christian view of salvation is a little alarming sometimes, though. Here's why. Because a lot of Christians, they don't want salvation so they can live for Christ. They want salvation before they die. And that's why they want to get saved. They just want to get saved before they die. They don't want to get saved in order to live for God just, just before they die. Salvation becomes sometimes in our Christian mindset this, this, um, 
this get out of hell free card, this, this uh, insurance that you get right before you die to make sure you don't end up going to hell. That's what the term salvation has sometimes become to Christians. And uh, it, it's true, we all are going to die, I mean, uh, until the rapture, unless the rapture happens, we're all going to die. There's going to be a day, we do. There was this famous poet in England who had something inscribed on his tombstone to remind people that we're all going to die. Let me show you what was inscribed there. It said, remember, O man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so shall you be. Remember this and follow me. A few years later, some smart aleck engraved some more words on the same tombstone. And they say, to follow you I'll not consent until I know which way you went. <laughs> you know, <laughs> salvation, everybody, even other religions talk about salvation. Salvation for the Hindus is this cycle of birth and rebirth. They believe in reincarnation. They believe you're born and then you live your life and then if you were a if you were a cow, for instance, in your first life, and you were a good cow, then you might could come back as a, as a poor person. And if you were a, then if you were a poor person, but you were a bad poor person, you might come back as a fly. And so they, they consider this rebirth, this, it's called the wheel of samsara. And they, say, they believe that you're born and reborn and born and reborn and born and reborn until you finally do it right. It's like Groundhog Day. Until you finally get it right. And when you finally get it right, you finally get off that miserable wheel and you get absorbed into nothingness. What's the point? And the Buddhists, they believe in the same wheel of birth and rebirth, but they believe that you're on it until you get enlightened by the Buddha. And when the Buddha enlightens you, you go to this place called nirvana. And nirvana is a place where there is no pain but total numbness. Like forever morphine. What's the use? For the Muslims, for the Muslims, heaven or salvation is submission to Allah. Now, Allah is this dread, terrible, arbitrary God that that demands blind obedience and submission. Allah has favorites too. Some people he likes, some people he doesn't. And all the women are happy slaves forever. There are a thousand other religions and a thousand other faiths that we could talk about highlighting on how humans try to seek for God and salvation. Somehow to please the God out there so their life will be better or at least they'll be numb but God's salvation is not like that at all. The salvation I'm telling you about today is not like that at all. It's not about people trying to seek God somewhere. It's about God has been seeking for us since the Garden of Eden. God's been chasing after us. God loves humankind. He's not putting up with us. He's not trying to find a way to numb us and to put us into nothingness. No, our God wants a relationship with us. So at the perfect time in history, God himself came to live in this world.
born as a poor baby in Bethlehem. Born as a little poor child in Bethlehem. His name was Jesus. The word Jesus means Savior. In the Old Testament, he was spoken about, and he was given a title called Emmanuel, which means God with us. God's plan was to come and live among us, not to make us get on a wheel until we finally get swung off into nowhere. God came to live with us. You know, I, 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 I think this caught Satan by surprise. I really do. I think Satan thought he was winning, and then when all of a sudden there was this virgin birth, that's like, like a once in a forever thing, there was this virgin birth, he goes, whoa, what is happening? And he tried to kill Jesus when he was just a little baby, remember? And then he tried to kill him several times during his ministry, but he was unsuccessful in doing so. I think Satan started shaking his boots going, what in the world is up? <laughs> Jesus came and he lived, and he lived a perfect life. Totally God, totally man. It was a brilliant plan of God, but he lived a life before his father. And the Bible says he emptied himself of godness and came and lived like a human. And he depended on the same Holy Spirit that you and I have to depend on. He didn't use special God powers to where he, he couldn't sin. Oh, he could have, but he chose not to just like we can choose not to. It's the truth. He obeyed and served the Father perfectly without sin. And it made the devil so mad. Oh, it made him mad. Finally, Satan cooked up a way to get rid of this God on earth. He, he cooked up a plan. He turned, oh, the devil thought he was brilliant about this too. He turned organized religion against Jesus. And he allied them with government against Jesus. And then all the spiritual forces of wickedness, demons against Jesus, until he finally got Jesus' own disciples to start denying him and betraying him. And oh, Satan thought he was winning. Oh, he thought he was going to win this thing. And it seemed like he was. They sentenced him to death. He went to the most horrible death possible for any criminal. And that was a crucifixion, a painful crucifixion. He hung on a cross. A cruel cross, naked and bloody and dying and helpless. And crowds jeered at him. He was falsely accused. He was railroaded. He was set up. He was treated unfairly. He was treated unjustly. And he hung on the cross. And he looked down at the people who did that willingly. He looked down at them. And he screamed out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What? Forgive the murderers? Forgive the perpetrators of the, of the, the railroading of Jesus into death? Forgiving them? That's strange. Forgiveness doesn't belong there. That's where judgment belongs. God should have struck them with lightning. That's what we think. God should have wiped them out. Those sinful religious leaders, those, those Roman soldiers, God should have just wiped them out, struck them, banished them from life, tossed them straight into hell. That's what they deserved. But Jesus didn't wish for them what they deserved. And he doesn't wish for you what you deserve either. He doesn't wish for me what I deserve. You know what he said? Father, forgive them. They're deceived. They don't know. They don't understand. 
Folks, that's the God we have. The God we have understands where you are and what's going on with you. He understands. He's, he's been there. He understands. He understands. It revealed the very heart of human history. The heart of God throughout all of human history. Since the Garden of Eden, he loves humanity. He loves every human being. We were created in his likeness, in his own image. He came to save them, not to destroy them. I want you to read what Romans 5, 6, and 6 through 8 says. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person somebody might dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus hung on that cross. And at the very last minute, right before he died, he said these words. It is finished. Satan, who thought he was winning, started shaking in his boots. What did he mean it is finished? Hey, wait. Why did he say that? What did he mean in this finished? What did he mean? Well, everything was backfiring on him. <laughs> Folks, when Jesus said, it is finished, this is what he meant. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Salvation has come. <laughs> he launched the plan of salvation and the mission was accomplished. It is finished. God's plan got completed. <laughs> you see, on the cross... On the cross, this is what Jesus took for us. He took on himself our sins, our shame, our condemnation, our punishment, our helplessness, our fears, our diseases, our sentence of death. He took it on himself so we wouldn't have to pay it. He died in our place. And then three days later, three days later, just to prove to Satan that it had worked, Jesus got up from the grave, rose from the grave, and said, Satan, spiritual death is over. Over. Good grief, guys. That's incredible stuff. God erased the spiritual death that started in the, in the Garden of Eden on the day Jesus died and when he rose again. He ended it. I love it. I love it in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know what righteousness of God means? Right with God. He knew that you and I couldn't do a blasted thing about our mess. And he took it on himself so you and I could get right with God. And we would be in right standing with him so that it's okay. We'd be right with God. That's incredible. That's called salvation. That's how unique God's salvation is from all the other religions and faiths or lack of it in the whole world. Our God came and made a way for us to be right with him, although we didn't even deserve it. 
No other religion has that kind of savior. Not even close. Looks like Satan lost. Ha <laughs> ha! Big time. There's a story in the Bible that best describes the powerful work God called salvation. It's the most famous story that Jesus told. And I think it's the best way to understand the uniqueness of God's plan. I want to I just give it to you real quick. We read about it in the book of Luke. There was this man and he had two sons. Sort of like Cain and Abel, okay? Two boys, totally different. One of the boys said, Dad, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I want my inheritance and I want it now. And he took his inheritance, the Bible says, and he went out and, the, he, man, he partied and spent every bit of it on riotous living and partying and wasting his life away. He spent every bit of it. And then he found himself in a mess, broke and broken. Broke and broken, didn't have anything to eat. A famine came in the land, so jobs were hard to find. He finally got a job feeding pigs so that he could eat what the pigs left. He was in a mess. And while he was lying in the mud there, he remembered his father. He remembered his father. He remembered what it was like when his father used to, used to f- provide for them. And he used to love them and care for them. And he started remembering. He says, what have I done? I've done the worst thing that could possibly be done. I've, 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 I've ruined my life. What have I given up? He said, it's my fault. And it was. And it was. He finally said, I'm going to go home. I'm too ashamed and too unworthy to ask my father to take me back into the family. So I'm just going to apply for a job on the farm. Maybe he'll just hire me as as a hired hand and at least I'll have enough to eat and at least I'll have a dry place to lay my head. So he journeyed home. Now, this was not the, Jesus didn't make up this story. I just want y'all to know this. This was not an original story to Jesus. This story had been told before Jesus was born. In fact, it was a very common rabbinical story that the rabbis used to teach. And they would teach it to the young boys as they were growing up so that those boys wouldn't do something dumb like ask for their father's inheritance and leave and live a crazy life and find themselves broken. It was a deterrent for boys to mess up. You see, in the, in the Jewish stories, it was usually about, about a young boy that would go away and then he would come back and he would come near the city and somebody would go out and say, what are you doing? And he would say, well, I, 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 I'm ashamed to come back to my father. I wonder if he might be willing to hire me. And, and they, somebody would run and ask the father. And the father might have been one of those guys. You've read about him in, in, in news before orthodox jewish people they'd say my my son is dead to me if you got dishonored by your son you just declare him dead they've even buried casket empty casket say my son is dead to me and that's what happens when you dishonor your father in jewish culture so there were some stories that the rabbis would tell about the father going no he just he needs to realize what he's done he needs to realize what he's done everybody learn a lesson from my son that's not my son anymore because he's dead to me. And just let him go off and live the rest of his life in shame and regret. And then some of them, oh, some of them were real merciful. They had the father saying, I will not allow him at the family. He will not sit at the table, but I will be kind enough to hire him. And I'll change his name, but I'll hire him. And we're supposed to go, woo, big daddy, wonderful. But Jesus changed the story. Jesus changed the story because that is not the heart of God at all. 
And so when Jesus told the story, well, let me just read it to you. But while he was, boy, this is hard to read, isn't it? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus told that story. And when they heard that, people are going, what? And the religious leaders are going, that's not how it goes. That's not the way it goes. What a perfect picture of God's plan of salvation. (laughs) When his father saw him a long way off. You know what that tells me? Dad wasn't at home working. He was at the gate wondering when he was going to come. He was looking for him. He was, maybe he couldn't even work. Maybe he was so broken. He was looking for his son to come home. And when he saw him, he saw him far off, not at the gate. He saw him before the other guys had a time to run out and find out what he wanted. He saw him, and the Bible says he ran to him. He ran to him and threw his arms around him. King James says fell on his neck. That would hurt. <laughs> threw his arms around him. And kissed him. And then the son immediately started the apologetics conference here. I'm so sorry, God. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I apologize. I apologize. I don't know why I did that. And the father didn't even listen to it. Father father didn't even listen. He didn't even listen to it at all. (laughs) The father was longing for his son to return. Just like in the Garden of Eden. God was longing for humanity to return to him. So he made a way. Everybody might have considered that young man dead, but God didn't. Neither did the father. You see, he saw the son was not his enemy. Did you hear that? The son was not his enemy. The son was not his enemy. You're not God's enemy. Anybody in this room, if you think God's mad at you, and doesn't like you, you're wrong. I don't care what you've done. If you're in this room today and you think for some reason God's mad at you, is and against you, you are wrong. He is not. He's not. The father had him bring the best robe. Well, of course, the son was half naked and ashamed to be standing there in tattered clothes. And his father covered his shame with the best robe he owned. I'll bet you it was the father's robe. I'll bet you that son could, when he got the robe, could smell his dad. He remembered what his dad smelled like. I can just see that. And he's got his father's robe on. The Bible says the father gave him a ring. You know what that means? That means the father restored his inheritance to him. But I thought he went on and spent it. I thought he wasted it. Well, he did. But the father has a lot of money. (laughs) The The father owns all the stuff. So the father gave him his ring back and said, inheritance back. By the way, I would think he would have at least sat down and go, well, let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's go through and see exactly what you did and why you did it. And No, he didn't. He didn't at all. 
By the way, God can restore what the worm ate. That's what the scripture says. If you think you've wasted too much of your life, you watch God restore it to you. And then the father gave him shoes. Hey, folks, slaves are barefoot. Servants are barefoot, not sons. <laughs> not sons. Sons are important to the father. They have to go represent the father. They have places to go, things to do. They have a purpose in their life. He gave him shoes. And then the father gave him a party, a joyful celebration, not a review of all the mistakes he had made, not some kind of little committee meeting and a conference to try to figure out what went wrong. In other words, the sins of his past were forgiven and forgotten. Forgiven and forgotten, not to be considered, not to be remembered anymore. Forgiven, over, done with, forgotten. Why do we bring up our past when God has forgotten it? I want to ask you, why do we bring up our past when God has forgotten it? Why do we bring up other people's pasts when God has forgotten it? We have no right to do that. And that's what the enemy wants to do. That's the lie he tells you, is that what you did still really matters. No, it doesn't. Not when the blood of Jesus has covered it. Um. There are two ways this father described, this is the end, there are two ways this father in the story describes salvation, and I think it's the best way we can describe it, the uniqueness of God's salvation. Number one, dead, but now alive. Boy, it doesn't get any more simple than that, does it? Dead, but now alive. The Bible says that God breathed his spirit into us, and sin has taken that spirit and and. and kill that spirit but what God has done is God has made a new creation in you when you get saved okay to go back to the old word when salvation comes to you God gives you a new created spirit inside he puts his spirit inside of you a spirit the spirit that connects with God no more spiritual death no 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 fear of hell no more spiritual death because we know we're forgiven new creation new nature dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God and our destination's heaven but a lot of people stop with that and say that's what salvation is and that's all it is well I want to tell you something God didn't just give you a spirit the Bible says you have a soul which is your will your mind your emotions your personality and you also have a body God created all those things for you and I want to tell you salvation doesn't stop at just saving your spirit it's not just punching your ticket so you don't go to hell. No, he wants to save all that other stuff too. That's why it says lost but now found. Let me tell you what we lost in sin. You lost your innocence. And what did God, what, what, did, what did you find? Forgiveness. You lost your health. Yeah, do you realize that the reason sickness is in the world is not because God wants to teach us lessons? The reason sickness is in the world is because sin came in the world. Sin, the sinful world, uh, that's why sickness and disease exist. It's because of sin. I'm telling you, Jesus died to break the curse of sin. That's why we pray and believe in healing. It's almost a picture of what God does in your spirit. He can show you. That's so why I believe in it strongly. Two weeks ago, I shared with you what I believe about that. Um, uh, I think it was Friday. 
Let me tell you how real, how just real common and real it is. Friday, Peggy and I were at, at Eaton, and, and uh, she wanted to walk around the block, and we wanted to just, we, we, we were down in Birmingham downtown, and we, were, we, we walked around the block, and there's these two ladies sitting there. These two ladies sitting up against, we thought they were homeless ladies, but they weren't. They were like ladies on a smoke break, you know, that were working in a restaurant. And so they were sitting there, and we went by, and we just struck up a conversation with them, and one of the ladies had this has this brace on her, on her arm. She had a brace. She said she had carpal tunnel problem, and she said she, work was, it was just hard for her to work because she was hurting, and, and she, but she had to work, and, and she was taking a break because of that. And So we just said, well, can we just pray for your arm? And so we just, she said, okay. There's another lady sitting by her. She was on work release from jail, and uh, so we just put her hand just put her hands on her hand and ask God to heal her carpal tunnel problem. And so we said, amen. And, and we didn't scare them or anything. We just prayed for her. And then Peggy said, how does it feel? And she said, that's better. She said, how much better is it? She said, it doesn't hurt at all. And the lady next to her goes, next to her goes, here the girl goes I don't know my 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 hand doesn't hurt anymore we get to tell them about the Lord you know why because God doesn't want to just save your soul and add you to a church role he wants to save all of you we lost our health and God has found it that's why we pray for healing and I believe in it Hey, we lost our sanity. We lost our minds, folks. This, hey, listen, just turn on TV. We've lost our minds in this world. People lost their sanity. Think about the number one drug prescribed in all of America has to do with anxiety. Anxiety and depression drugs. Number one, we've lost our mind. God came to save your mind. To give you a fresh new mind. To heal your mind. It's called mind renewal. He wants to give you discernment so you can know when the lies are coming and when the truth's coming. You know what else we lost? We lost our relationship with God. But God has adopted us back into the family. We are sons. We are daughters. We're not people with problems. We're sons and daughters to him. That's what he thinks of us. I want you to look at John 1, 12. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. God gave us the right to be in the family, just like the prodigal son's father. You are unique. God not only created you, he saved you with the most incredible, oh, what an awesome salvation it is. You need to know who you are. You're saved. You need to know who you are and how big that salvation is. How big it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something here just for a moment. I'm going to remind you that it says to all who received him. 
to all who believed in his name. Salvation is not candy given out at a parade. It is for those who receive it. They don't have to work for it. You just have to receive it. But that's the act. You know, I told you God made everybody, uh, gave everybody the ability to make choices. You have to make the choice to receive God's forgiveness and God's salvation. Or anything God gives, you have to make the choice to receive it. That's what the altar call is going to be today. If you have never received Jesus as your Savior, you get to, folks, you get to get saved today. <laughs> you get to, you get to come down. <laughs> you get to be born again. You get to be adopted into the family of God. And if you forgot that salvation is bigger than that, and you've lost your health, lost your mind, lost your relationship, lost your innocence, you want God to heal that too, then it's going to be here for you. If, if you are sick in your body, the people at the front are going to just pray for you to be healed. They're not going to they're not do anything weird. You don't have to work up anything. They're just going to declare that God is your healer and agree with you. If you've lost your mind, God's going to restore your sanity today. You know why? Because that's how big a God we have. God is unique. And He doesn't want us to beg. He wants us to receive it. Would you stand together? I'm going to ask the prayer team if you'll come. Let's, I, I need to have plenty of prayer team people up front. If you will, if you're, if you're on the prayer team or if you're on a prayer team within your life group or whatever, if you'd come and stand. just need you to come and stand here. Listen, here's what I want you to do. Yeah. Need you, Jared, come on down, man. This is what I need you to do. I need you today to say, God, how saved am I? <laughs> am I, have I? Have I touched all of your salvation or have I just tried to punch my ticket to get out of hell? God, I want all you have for me. I want all your salvation. Lord, I need it all. I want you to step out right now and just come on. Come on, let somebody pray for you. Pray for your body. Pray for your mind. Pray for your spirit. Come on, just right now. Step out and come right now in the name of Jesus. Would you just step out and come as they, as they begin to sing? Come on. Just step out and come right now in the name of Jesus. Step out and come. Step out and come in Jesus' name. If you're sick, come. If you're sick, don't leave here and say, I'm sick, if you didn't come to the altar. If you're sick, come. Test God and see. Test God and see. Come on, in Jesus' name, step out. You're struggling in your mind, with your thoughts, with your past. Come on, His salvation is here for you. His salvation is here for you. Step out. Step out and come. Step out and come. In the name of Jesus, step out and come right now. In the name of the Lord.
hope for you. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember today as you leave, those at the altar, you pray as long as you want. I want you to remember as you leave, God offers his salvation to you. You got to receive it. Not just the first time you get saved, but every time God offers his redemption of your life, wherever your life is at that moment. Sickness, stress, anxiety, guilt, shame. He offers this salvation right then for you. All you got to do is receive it. Receive it. That should stop all of our complaining, shouldn't it? Because it's available in Jesus' name. Thank you all so much for coming and listening. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here.